Okay, uh, if you have your Bible or your phone, open up to Psalm 51. Last week we talked about a Psalm 27, but in particular the, uh, the aspect of supplication, what that means in our prayer life. Um, the Psalms teach us how to relate to God. A lot of the Psalms are written in first person, but they are, they are meant to teach us how to work out our relationship with God, how, how the people of God are, are meant to respond to the mighty works and acts and words of God. And uh, in, in teaching us those things, it's teaching us how to pray. Okay? And we, we learned last week uh, a little bit more of what supplication is and how, how important that is to our uh, relationship with God. Um, and I mentioned some of the other kinds of prayer that we have in Scripture. And, and so Psalm 51, we're going to focus on uh, praying prayers of repentance and really what repentance really is. Psalm 51 is probably the best known of what are called the uh, penitent psalms or the confessional psalms. It's a group of psalms that are um, a confession or a crying out to God a, a plea for mercy uh, for, a, for a sin that's been committed. Um, and obviously this is an important part of our prayer life. It also has a place, like supplication, it has a place in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, and so Psalm 51, we're going to focus on it uh, today. But if you, want, if you want to read some other psalms of repentance after today to kind of compare, which is a, a useful thing, I think, um, you can look at Psalm 6, 32, uh, 38, 51, which is what we'll talk about today, 102, 130, and 143. Those are sort of grouped together as Psalms of penitence. 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Um, I'll actually mention a few uh, verses from 32 uh, this morning. But uh, so let me let me just talk about repentance for a second. Repentance is um, it literally means a turning, a changing of one's mind, okay? a turning away, a turning away from sin. In the New Testament, um, that was what Jesus came proclaiming: "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn, turn from your ways." Um, that is what he sent the church out to preach, repentance. That's what in the book of Acts, Paul and all the other apostles go around preaching repentance. Uh, the kingdom is at hand, so repent, change. There's a different way of life uh, at hand, and you're not living it. So by the grace of God, and, and he has opened up an opportunity for you to do so, repent. Change, turn, and, and receive his grace and place your faith in him and come into the kingdom. Enter this way of life that is different than the way you've been living. So repentance is, is a moment, but it, a repentance is also, I would say, a lifestyle. Okay, we, we, we don't just repent, boom, we're saved, we're good, we check the box off, and now for the rest of our lives, we don't have to worry about sin anymore. It's not true. Uh, and in, uh, Jesus tells the Pharisees who come to him, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit that, in other words, repentance 
It's not just a one-time thing. Repentance is something that, that continually works in our lives, and, and, and when it does, it helps us bear fruit. Um, we need to be careful because repentance is not something you can just go do. Repentance is a response to a work of grace of God in your life. Okay, repentance happens when you've genuinely, honestly seen your sin for what it is, and you've seen God's grace for what it is. And you say, whoa, I see that I need to turn. And I know that I can turn by this grace that God has given me. Okay, so, but, but, but in a lot of ways, repentance is our side of God's work of salvation. It's our response to his grace that has gone out to draw us to himself. And uh, so Jesus proclaimed, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent. That was the action item that accompanied the preaching of the gospel. So what are we going to do? Repent. Okay. And so repentance has a place not just in the life of a new believer. Okay. And in fact, the more you mature in your faith, the more you're going to realize that repentance is, uh, is a lifestyle. It is a marker of a true believer. Okay. Um, so, Psalm 51 is, is a supreme example of repentance. And so let's just read the inscription, the little blurb at the beginning of the psalm. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Okay? So this is referring to David's act of adultery plus murder. Actually, the text of the story actually uh, really uh, zooms into the the plot to frame, <laughs> to frame uh, Uriah's wife, uh, Beth, uh, to frame Uriah for the pregnancy of his wife. Um, so the story is that we don't, we're not going to turn there, but the story is David, it says in the springtime, when the kings are supposed to be out going to war, David was at home, and as he's at home, he sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. He desires her. He says, go, go bring her to me. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. Okay. Now, he realizes this, and he says, hey, her, her husband is away fighting. He's, he's gone out, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, unlike David. Uh, her husband comes back. Uh, he says, bring Uriah back, and he says, hey, man, hey, bud, how's it going? You know, thanks for all the work you're doing. Hey, why don't you go uh, hang out at home tonight? You know, you've been away for a long time. Your wife probably misses you. Why don't you go uh, hang out at home? And so you see what he's trying to He's trying to get them to sleep together so that it will be a cover-up for his own transgressions, okay? So he tries to convince them. The, the tragic, most tragic part of the story, I think, is that Uriah refuses to do it. He says, no, I can't do that because the people of God are at, at war, right? I can't, I can't take that liberty. I can't allow myself that, that comfort in the midst of what's going on. My heart is out there with my brothers on the battlefield. And so he refuses to do it. And David keeps trying to get him to go uh, eat, you know, and just take comfort with his wife. And he refuses to do it. The integrity of this guy. And so David basically says, all right, he sends him back out to the battlefield, puts him in the most vulnerable position, tells the commander, hey, take him to the very front and then draw back from him. And obviously he dies. He's put in the most vulnerable position where the fighting is the heaviest. And he dies. A pretty heinous act. Right? The adultery was bad, but the extent to which David went to try and to cover it up, um, to 
to, I mean, he gets accused of murder, right? And in the psalm, we'll see that he, he, he names his sin, blood guiltiness, bloodshed. I have shed blood, okay? So what happens is David isn't repentant. The prophet Nathan comes, tells him a little story that sounds an awful lot like what David has done. And David says, Nathan says, hey, what should happen to this guy in the story? He goes, well, he should be put to death. And Nathan says, great line, you are the man. It's you. And then David, uh, that's, that's where this psalm comes in. David realizes his guilt. He's convicted of his sin. And this is his response to God. <clears throat> Have mercy on me. So I'm going to read through it and just make some comments. Okay, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Have mercy. Now, mercy, he, he asks God for mercy. This is important because one of the ways to understand mercy is not getting what you deserve. You've heard that? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. He says, have mercy. In other words, he's acknowledging what he deserves. He says, I deserve punishment. I deserve uh, judgment, condemnation. Have mercy. In a, in a prayer for mercy, there is an acknowledgement of what you, what you really deserve. Okay? So that's important. He knows what he deserves. Okay? And his prayer comes from that place. I think a lot of times we, we feel bad, um, but we don't really, we aren't really convinced that we deserve the wrath of God. It's like, well, we messed up, but God understands. And that's sort of the, the posture that we take. No, no, no. Right off the bat, David is saying, have mercy. I deserve death. I deserve punishment. Okay? And that doesn't cause him to shrink back from God. In fact, he, he brings that boldly into the presence of God. Have mercy. You're the only one that can grant me mercy. I deserve punishment from you. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I'm dirty. I need to be cleansed. I have a spot. Okay, so here's an acknowledgement that I deserve punishment and I have something wrong with me that I can't fix. There's something wrong with me. Okay, and this is not in vogue these days to, to preach the importance of knowing that you deserve condemnation and that there is something wrong with you. <laughs> we don't want to say that. We don't want to hear it. We want people to tell us that eh, it's okay, you're just like everyone else. No, there's something wrong with you. David's acknowledging, I need to be cleansed. I have been rolling around in filth. I'm looking at Andrew's shirt right there. There you are. It's pig pen. <laughs> I'm dirty. I have this cloud following me around. That's a, that's a perfect shirt, man. Look at that. There's David wallowing in his sin. <laughs> For I know my transgressions. 
I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I've acknowledged that this is sin. Now listen, he's using words. He's saying iniquity, sin, transgression. Okay? Breaking the code of morality that God has set. I've broken it. I did something I shouldn't have done. I chose to do it and I did it. And I should not have done it. Now that seems simple. But we need to remind ourselves of this. Okay? We need to be able to call sin, sin. There's a lot of stuff in our life that's probably sin. We don't like to call it sin. It's iniquity. It's transgression. You've done something you shouldn't have. If you look up in the New Testament, what, what constitutes sin? It says, hey, whatever is not of faith, that's sin. If you know something that you should have done and you didn't do it, that's sin. Right? And I'm not trying to, as you'll see, I'm not trying to heap, <laughs> heap condemnation on you. I'm saying that this is the reality, right? Sin is sin, whether we want to call it sin or not. David says, I know my transgressions, not my struggles. He doesn't say, I know my struggles. He says, I know my sin, my breaking of the law. I know that I've broken the law. Not my weaknesses, My sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. I see it. I see it for what it is. Now, verse 1 through 5 here are what constitute a confession. Okay? I'm I'm breaking this down. Verses 1 through 5 is the confession. Verses 6 through 14 are the purification. 15 through 17 are the consecration. And 18 through 19 are the incorporation. All right? Confession, verses 1 through 5, is, is his confession. What is confession? This is also something I think that's lost in the modern church. Uh, the Catholics still do it, right? You go into the little booth and you confess. What do you do? You lay it out. <laughs> you say what it is. I sin in this way. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Now, we don't do it through priests. We do it before God and with each other. Okay? Um, but confession is a vital part of a Christian life. Confession, what does it mean? Calling it what it is. That's what confession is in Scripture. It means, the the Greek word is homo, which is the same, logos, word. It's a homology. It's, you just call it what, you name it for what it is. You confess sin. Hey, this is sin. This thing I did, it's sin. That's confession. I did it, it is sin. (laughs) At its root, that's what confession is. And it's, it's verbalizing your sin. So this is what David says. I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I did it. And he emphasizes the fact that he, he recognizes that this has damaged his relationship with God. And that's the worst part of it. Okay? Now, yes, he did sin against Uriah, big time. And he sinned against Bathsheba. But what makes that bad is that it's a sin against God. The whole way God ordered life and created life to be, he says, I have gone contrary to that. I've sinned against God. I didn't just do something obnoxious to someone next to me. 
I went against the whole plan of life. I I took someone's wife for myself, and I took a life. I have sinned against God. And he says, yes, God, it's you. I've sinned against you. And again, we need to learn something here. Do you understand that sin is, is a breaking of your covenant with God? A choice to sin is a sin against God. I've sinned against you. And he, he kind of brings his confession to a climax by, by speaking hyperbolically. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, sin isn't just this thing I've done. Sin is who I am. I am sin. From birth till now, I'm sin. It's not just what I did. It's, it's who I am. There is something wrong with me. So then he flips and it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Verse 6 begins with, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And this begins the purification. And the, the purification begins with a vision of what God does want. Okay? We've been, he's been realizing that he has done what God does not like. I've done what displeases you. In, in the story, it, it says that, and the, the thing displeased the Lord. <laughs> After it's all said, well, yeah. It seems to be the understatement of all of Scripture. And the thing displeased the Lord. The guy's a monster, right? He did something monstrous. So he says, look, I am sin. Look what I am. But behold, look, you delight in truth in the inward being. Here's what you want. You want someone who is clean from the inside all the way out. I see who I am, and I see what you desire. Now, let's, let's begin the process of going from here, conceived in sin, born in iniquity, my transgression is ever before me, and truth in the inward being. I see what you are after. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You teach me how to do the things that please you, even in the depths of my heart. You teach me how to act in a way that always pleases you. And that's what you desire. So verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. In order to pray for cleansing, you have to acknowledge your filth. You have to acknowledge your impurity. Okay? But this is a wonderful thing. This, this, should, set you free. this should set you free. Right? When you acknowledge your sin before God, He is able, and this, this psalm is prophetically referring to the fact that we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, this happened with a branch of hyssop. It would be dipped in blood or in water and kind of sprinkled over for purification. And we have more perfect blood than, than even this. Okay? We can be cleansed. In 1 John it says, confess your sins one to another. Uh, or no, it says, uh, I'm getting that mixed up with James. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. That's a good one. right? It will bring healing. Confession 
bring, leads to healing. In 1 John it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, it starts with confession. It starts with calling it what it is. Okay? In Matthew it says that Jesus came and He was baptizing people and they were confessing their sins. Right? Confession and purification always go hand in hand in Scripture. Confession and purification. You will never be pure unless you've honestly confessed and acknowledged your impurity. So we continue in this, in this purification. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Get rid of them. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's asking for the covenant to be fulfilled. Right? There, was, there were prophecies about how God would come and he would, he would forgive his people of their sins and he would place in them a new heart on which was written the law of God. Right? This was a prophetic anticipation. And he's saying, do that in me. Bring your covenant to its fulfillment in me. Create in me a clean heart. And, and when I walk after the flesh, look what it leads to. I need you to come and put your word in my heart. Create it in me. It's not there. I need, you, you need to make it. <laughs> Just like you called the world into existence from nothing. You need to create from nothing this clean heart that is with that, and, and renew a right spirit with me. Don't send me away from your presence. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. What he is most afraid of is being banished from the presence of God and having the Spirit of God withheld from him. Okay? And I think a lot of times this does not scare us enough about our sin. That it it drives us away from the presence of God and it causes him to withhold his Spirit from us. David's saying, purify me so that I can be that temple where you can come and dwell. If you don't purify me, I know that you can't dwell here. And I don't want that. I don't want to be away from you. I don't want to be sent away. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, give give me this spirit that's willing. And that wants to do what you desire. And it brings it to fulfillment in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'll be an instrument of righteousness in other people's lives. You're not just going to save me and, and, and pardon this and so I can go on my happy way. No, I'm going to become part of your work of deliverance in other people's lives because of what you're doing in me, because of this work of purification. I'm going to be able to come and, and, and speak words of, of uh, deliverance to people. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That's repent. Come back. Turn. Sinners will repent. Deliver me from, he names his sin, blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. So confession leads to purification, which leads to witness. Testimony. God has delivered me, and he can deliver you. He can save you. Confess your sins. Turn from them and be cleansed. 
and come into this glorious fellowship of those who have been delivered by the Lord. Verses 15 through 17 are his consecration. It's a resolve now to walk with God differently. And this is the ongoing repentance. Okay? This is the lifestyle of repentance that he's talking about. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. I want to walk differently. I don't want to just go through the motions offering these animals to try and cleanse my conscience. No, no, no. I want a different kind of heart. I want my spirit to walk now in, in a greater humility. That's what he's asking for. I, I commit myself to, to offer my very heart, my inner heart to you as a sacrifice. To be broken and humble. Right? If you've ever truly repented of sin, you, there's, a, there's a humility about you that wasn't there before. There's a fear of God. There's a reverence. And there's a, there's a decre- decreased trust in yourself <laughs> and an increased reliance and dependence on God and his mercy. A broken and contrite heart. Um... So it's not just back to business as usual until the next sin. It's different. He's, he's walking, you could say, with a limp now. His spirit has known the grief of sin. His spirit has known the bitterness of transgression. And he now walks differently. Okay, that's another thing. Repentance was never meant to be cyclical. Again and again and again. That's what, that's what the blood of bulls and goats is. Continually a reminder for sin. No, no. We have now, once for all, the ability to have our sin dealt with completely. And after that, we can walk in this brokenness and humility before God. Verse 18, do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. It's an interesting flip. It seems to come out of nowhere. But what's he saying? My sin, as one of the members of the city of God, has left a breach in the wall. You've dealt with my heart. You've fixed my heart. You've cleansed my sin. But there's a breach in the wall. My sin has affected the city of God. Okay? So this is, this is an acknowledgement of, of how sin, all sin, even personal sin, intimate, private sin, is corporate. Okay? It affects the people of God. The wall has been broken down. There's a breach. The enemy can get in. And so part of his prayer of repentance is that God would would also repair that breach. The breach that is in the wall where he was standing and where the, the breach that happened when his sin overcame him. The defenses are down. The security is down. Other people are exposed to attack because of my sin. And we have to realize that our sin does have an effect on other people. It does not just affect us. Um, it has left a hole in the wall. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole, offer, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be all, uh, offered on your altar. Um, so there you go. There is a prayer of, of repentance. It, 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 it contains confession. 
it uh, contains uh, purification, um, consecration, a resolve to walk differently, and an acknowledgement that this has affected people other than myself. And there, you know, when you repent, a lot of times God will show you where the wall has been breached. Maybe it's a relationship in your life. Um, and you need to go and, and try and fix that wall. It's not, you've been forgiven, you've been cleansed and purified, but sometimes there's work to do to repair the wall. Okay? The, the effects of sin, um, God, can, God can forgive you of sin, but that doesn't repair all the effects of sin. Those remain, and that's just a fact. That's because we walk with other human beings. Right? And if I sin against you, God can forgive me, you can forgive me, but there's work to do. Okay? We need to repair the walls of Jerusalem. All right, so that's a prayer of repentance. And here's my challenge, okay? Um, or let, me, let me say a few things and then, and then just give you a question kind of for examination. Um, so every time we sin in our lives, we need to call it what it is and repent of it and ask God for forgiveness. Okay? This is, this is, this is the truth. God has not, there's, sort of, there's, there's a theology out there that says that when you're saved, then all the forgiveness God is ever going to show you has been shown in that moment. And now he never has to forgive you of anything ever again. Well, that's, not, that's not true. That's not biblical. Right? When you sin, you need to, otherwise it wouldn't say confess your sins to one another. And you will be healed. And he's talking to believers when he says that. Confess your sins. Ask God for forgiveness. What happened is God has worked in Jesus so that now he can forgive you without totally throwing justice out the window. Okay? So he has dealt with sin in that now when you ask him for forgiveness, he can say, yes, I forgive you. I've dealt with the penalty of sin. Does that make sense, the difference? It's not like, hey, all of your future sins are already forgiven. It's not what we read in Scripture. God will forgive you and and loves to forgive you because of the work of Jesus on the cross. But you have to come to him and ask him for forgiveness. Otherwise, why did he teach his disciples to pray? Forgive us our trespasses. Right? That's, That's meant to be a continual thing. We're meant to examine ourselves, see if there is any sin in us, Recognize if there is, confess it, and turn from it. And that's a very healthy way to live. Now, it doesn't mean you're always wallowing in the mud. (laughs) Always just, I'm sinning every day. No, it doesn't mean that either. It just means that when you become aware of sin, you need to confess it. Uh, I I think it really helps to confess it to someone you're close with. Um, But that that doesn't replace your true, honest confession before God and your acknowledgement that I have sinned against you. And repent of it, right? So confession, purification, consecration, incorporation. This is an ongoing thing in our lives. We are meant to know the process of repentance and to continually, when, when sin becomes apparent to us, when conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, to go before God and pray prayers of repentance. All right? Um, we need to acknowledge the depth of our sin and not uh, reassure ourselves by like, comparing ourselves with others or um, making excuses for sin. Okay, that will hold you in bondage way more than the shame of 
confessing sin will. Okay? To try and say, well, yeah, it's not really, I'm not up to like confession level yet. No. Confess it. Just let it go. And allow God to forgive you and move on with life. Okay. Um, there's, there's also, you know, the idea of shame is sort of really a hot button issue these days, too, in the church. And shame is somehow like, you know, the, the reason Jesus died on the cross is so that you would not have to feel ashamed anymore. I don't think that's true at all. I think, that, <laughs> I think the reason Jesus died on the cross is so that you would be more ashamed than you've ever realized. So you would know what the cost of sin is. Not that you would be cast away from God in shame, but that you would be able to truly understand what your sin does to God. The offense that it is. And to, so, so that you could come and really ask him for mercy. Okay, So we can't ask him for mercy if we don't really understand that we deserve condemnation. Um, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the garden. It, it, when they sinned, they, they hid themselves. They were, they were naked and they became aware of their shame. They were hardwired for that. Their shame was not caused by feeling condemned by God. Their shame was caused by their own actions. They did something. They felt ashamed. That's how God created them. <laughs> so when you feel ashamed of what you've done, great. That's God, God's built-in mechanism for you to now come and, and ask him for forgiveness and plead to him for mercy. He has put that in you to drive you to him. The only source of cleansing and purification. Okay? You, can't, you don't need to be assuaged. You need to be purged and forgiven. Okay? Otherwise, you're just going to just continually come back to that shame. And it's just going to keep eating at you and eating at you, eating at you. Um, Psalm 32 So let, just let me say this to sum up the, the idea of shame. And also guilt is sort of a bad thing. Oh, you shouldn't feel guilty. Well, you, you should. But also guilt's not a feeling. Guilt's a standing before God in light of his law. Right? So it doesn't matter what you feel like. If you've broken God's law, you are guilty. Right? And if you feel guilty or if you feel ashamed, well, the facts are the facts. Right? You've, you've broken relationship with God. Um, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confess your transgressions to the Lord. Call it sin. Ask him for mercy. Ask him for forgiveness. And you will, be, you will experience a freedom that you've never known. Amen? Um, we need to have hope that God can and does cleanse us of our sins. But we need to acknowledge sin for what it is. And we need to acknowledge what we deserve before God. So that we can properly ask him for mercy and forgiveness. Um, does that make sense? How you, I mean, does it make sense what I'm cautioning against you know, in terms of... Shame is actually a good thing, right? When we're wired to, to be ashamed of... We're supposed to feel exposed when we become independent of God. 
right? They realized they were naked. Why? Because they, they were out from under the covering of God, walking in, him, walking in dependence on him. That's what exposed them. So we need to come back and say, I was, I was walking in dependence, and it was a shameful thing. I was so exposed and naked. I need to come back. And God says, yes, come back into my presence. All right, so here's my question. Here's my challenge to you. Um, when was the last time you became aware of, of a sin in your life? Or when was the last time you sinned and you knew, like, you know, that was, that was sinful? Okay? So just think about that. When was the last time I really became convicted of sin? Whether someone spoke that to me, you know, called out my sin, or I just, I did something and I immediately knew this is sinful. That was a sinful attitude. That was a sinful behavior. Now, when was the last time you repented of your sin before God? Ideally, (laughs) the answers to those two things should be the same. You should have repented of your sin the last time you became aware of sin. You should have confessed it, turned from it, repented, been purified of it, and consecrated yourself to walk in a new way. Okay, that is how we should respond to the uncovering of sin in our lives. To pray prayers of repentance like this, to follow this pattern. Um, and that's how, that's how we are to relate to sin in our lives. A lot of times we dance with sin. We sort of push it under the rug, or we don't, we deal with it later, or we just hide it, cover it up, right? What we need to be doing is repenting of our sin. Because, I mean, otherwise, why did, why did Jesus die? What, what, who are we following? And why are we following him? Okay, so my challenge is to think about the way that you, the way that you respond when, when sin gets uncovered in your life. Do you have a, do you have a response? Do you, do you have a, a, a way to, do you understand what repentance is? Do you understand what that lifestyle looks like? And are you able to take that sin, confess it, uh, receive the purification of God, and, and move on with life? Because, I mean, honestly, that will set you free so much. You won't, Satan holds us in bondage, and he really does hold us in, in false condemnation. Um, simply because we don't know how to truly repent of sin. He doesn't want us to know. He wants us to think it's not really that bad. He wants us to think that it doesn't deserve punishment because he wants to prevent us from coming to God and really asking for mercy and for forgiveness. Okay? Satan hates the forgiveness of God. Satan loves accusation and condemnation. Okay? And he loves to twist the truth. Right? There's a great song... Uh, there's a great song by uh, Shane and Shane. Do you know this song? Where he talks about uh, how he's basically speaking the whole thing the, 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 uh, that Satan is preaching to me the song of the redeemed. I'm cursed. I'm gone astray. And then the song kind of comes to this, this climax and he says, but he's forgotten the refrain. Jesus saves. Right? So the first part of the gospel is that you are cursed. You deserve death. You have made a separation between yourself and God. But it's good news. That is good news. Because Jesus is able to save and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? But we have to know. Satan knows it better than we do. Because he speaks it in our ears. You're dirty. 
You're filthy. You don't belong in the presence of God. He's right. But he wants to keep you from the presence of God because it's in God's presence now that we can receive forgiveness and purification. Amen? All right, so that is, um, that's repentance. And that, that is a kind of prayer that, you know, hopefully is not a daily prayer for us. But we need to know how to pray and ask God for forgiveness. And it should happen when? When we become convicted of sin. When it becomes apparent that we have broken God's commands. When we have done something willfully that we know we should not do. That is sin. That is transgression. And we need to repent and be forgiven of that sin. All right? Um, well, let's pray. And then if you have any questions or if, you, you know, if you're wondering anything, please ask questions. Because I know that this can... Um, this can get confusing. It can get like overly psychological. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping to cut through, <laughs> to cut through all of that, and just say, if it's sin, we have an advocate to the Father. If we will avail ourselves of that. Um, all right, let's pray. And if you do have any questions, I, I would like to to hear those. Father, we want to thank you for sending your Son, um, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin so that you could condemn sin in the flesh. And I thank you that because he lives and was raised, that he can now uh, save to the uttermost uh, your people, Lord, those who would come to you. And so, Lord, we as as individuals and we as a church, we we want to be a people who uh, walk in repentance, who bear fruit in keeping keeping with repentance, God. Lord, we don't want to uh, receive just a moment of, of turning and then go on our merry way. Uh, Lord, we want to be changed. We want to have a humble and contrite heart and to walk before you in humility and in uh, total gratitude for uh, your forgiveness in our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would bring us to, to honest repentance where we need to be brought to repentance, Lord. Uh, your scripture says that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And, and we, we really do acknowledge that, Lord, that it's because you have been faithful. You have pursued us. You have taken the initiative uh, that we can even have the chance to repent. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, silence any voices that are not true in our minds, any, any tendency that we would have to conceal and hide and, um, and run away from your presence. Uh, because of, uh, because of our actions, Lord. Help us to run to you and teach us uh, the joy, as David was talking about, teach us the joy of salvation, the joy of being delivered and set free uh, from sin in our lives. Um, Lord, I pray that you would honestly change some of us, that, that we would have a deeper walk with you uh, because we understand what it means to, to, to truly repent and to live a life of repentance. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions? Yeah. Yes.